Good morning, everybody. As apparently, I said good morning too early. Hit the button. Oh, good, good morning. morning. <laughs> Finally. Oh man. Oh, I, I did hear you over there early, there, Mister. I love all you wonderful people. This is good. Okay, Acts chapter nine. Good stuff in this chapter. How about it? We are getting into Saul slash Paul. And a really amazing experience, I think, that says a whole lot about God and the kind of person he is, as well as a really scared disciple, Ananias. Had you putting yourself in issues? Yeah. How about it? Yeah. So you want me to do what? <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, before we get into doing some reading and stuff, um, those of us who had a chance to read it ahead of time, what were some bigger themes you thought maybe in the whole chapter that stood out to you? Why are you nudging me? I love verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. What a... What a Imagine if someone described you as that kind of person, your character, your nature. He was that person. He was that person. I mean, I know the reading that we have is set up later in the story, but right. the early part of the story is really... Oh, we're going to go through the early part for sure. Good. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Breathing threats and murder. How do you, you know, how do you kind of relate that with the idea that Jesus... When he caught the woman who was caught in adultery and some of these other situations of betrayers, you know, foot washing where Judas was fixing to betray him, how he honored their reputation. But yet you read right here in Acts 9 verse 1, a very vivid description of Paul's character and reputation. Interesting things that I wrestle with all the time, how to make it, you know. And it's interesting that the word breathing is used because that goes to show it wasn't just, you know, it was every waking thought, every oh, breath, yeah. every, probably even in his dreams, you know, he's he, uh, was a vengeance or a passionate hatred yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Well, just look at, you know, people that feel passionate about something today. Yeah. They go to the protest, they'll burn building down. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's just that seething hatred and mm. but he also felt I think led to be that because he felt he was doing good work right yeah he, he thought was, he was honoring the reputation of God correct yeah, yeah. so he was being backed by religious leaders mm. yeah. requesting letters it reminds you of even like the not to get too far off on a tangent on this but the the Islamic terrorists who Blow up buildings and planes and themselves. They're convinced. They're Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. It's interesting how um, as passionate as as Saul at that point was, I mean, he was highly passionate. Yeah. Because he was so passionate and so focused, God had to seriously grip him up mm -hmm. to change his course to put that passion in a different direction. So let's do some reading. We're going to read uh, verse 1 through 18. Okay? We're going to read that whole section right there. And um, we'll kind of break it up, you know, in kind of paragraphical 
you know, verses like we do. So for those who are willing to read, um, that would be great. I'll start. I'll read verses 1 through 4, and we'll go from there. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any man or woman who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Mom, you want to read, say, 5 through 9. Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But I get up and go into this but get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. Mm. Seth, you want to go like 10 to... 14? Okay. There was a disciple in Damascus named An An Ananias. Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, Here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Since he is praying there, in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Is it 15? Uh, yeah, read down through 13 and 14. Okay. Lord, and an Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has the authority here from the, ch from the chief priests to arrest all who came on your name, call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is chosen chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. Thanks. Joe, you want to finish it? Mm -hmm. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road you were traveling, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, like scales from... Uh, Mm -hmm. fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized. Mm -hmm. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. I was just thinking, after three days with no food and no water, a body can go three days without food, but three days without water and hydration, he was in pretty bad shape by the end of that three days. Mm -hmm. You know, he would have been very weak, humbled, shocked, you know. At like what is happening to me? You know, can't see. Can't see. Yeah. So what a way. Okay, so who is Saul? Right, powerful. Yeah. He's got power, authority. He can arrest people, break into homes. He, yeah. He's got letters from the high priest. He's got warrants from the judges to do what he's doing. And after that incident, what what does he have? He's got nothing. And the name Nicodemus just came to my mind. Mm. He had to do the same thing to Nicodemus. Mm. Knock him off his throne. 
Or you mean Nebuchadnezzar? I'm sorry, yeah. Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, yeah. I apologize. Yes, he was out in the field with the animals for, what, Eating seven grass. years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so let's, you know, what do you think starting there at the top? Um, <clears throat> Graham Maxwell is someone who I really, really appreciate his books and his writings, and I spend, spend a lot of time, I really appreciate his view of God. But he kind of summarizes the incident here at verse 3 through, you know, 5, when there's a bright light and all this, and Saul fell to the ground. He says, some people need a two-by-four, like Saul. You know, he uses that analogy that God had to hit Saul with a two-by-four to get his attention. No, because he was a Saul. <laughs> oh, that's a good joke. <laughs> hmm. It's nice. You know? Yeah. What do you think the picture of God is right there? What does it say, right? So this, this crazy event happens. Paul's on the ground, freaked out, in shock. He can't see. Lord, yeah, I'm Jesus. Okay, right? What is Jesus is God? Hebrews says he's the exact representation of God. So what does that reveal about the kind of person God is? Here's a dude who is, right, actively persecuting God's people, actively working to interfere with it, misrepresenting God, all of these things that Jesus says eternal life is to know you. So not knowing God equals eternal death. So here's Saul walking around doing his thing. Well, you know, to put, you know, look at it from God's perspective. Saul was a praying man. Mm -hmm. He was a religious zealot. Right. He wasn't. He wasn't doing this just from the want of hurting people. Right. He was doing it from you know. So here he is praying to the same God that he's persecuting, and you know, just like errant children. Sometimes you need to smack them upside the head and say that's not good. This you're you're misdirected, and um, and I think that's what the Lord loves us enough to be willing to do that. Good. Any other thoughts there on the first paragraph? Things stand out to you. I'm thinking of the word determined. Mm. That that God, I mean the Father. Jesus, they were determined not to lose Saul. Mm. They were determined that, that that passion could be redirected. Like any parent is determined they're not going to lose their kid. You know. Why do you think God, who knows the very heads on our, the number of hairs on our head, knows the thoughts and motives of men's hearts, right? The gospel said, Jesus knows the thoughts and motives of men's hearts. Okay. Why did he ask Saul, why are you persecuting me, in verse 4? I've always found that interesting. God knows the hearts and thoughts of men. Mm -hmm. Why did he ask Saul, why are you doing this? Saul needed to become conscious of why he was doing what he was doing. Well, he may have taken it to where, like, the fable of Jesus being resurrected was just a fable. He may have bought into the political uh, line of the day and said, no, it's nonsense, and all of a sudden, here's Jesus talking to you. Hmm. He lived during the time that he was crucified, right, so he, yeah. he saw him in passing, I'm sure, and that he knew exactly who was talking to him. I guess it's just another example of uh, 
Jesus showing anybody can be changed or change. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah, for me, like when I kind of thought about that, why when Jesus asked, "Why are you persecuting me?" You know, there's something to be said for when somebody asks you, even if even if I know why you're doing something, when you're when you're presented with that question, it requires you to reflect internally and get truthful or honest with yourself. You're going to be really true and honest. Well, here's why I'm doing it. And when you do that, you know, that's where change and growth happens in your mind. When you get honest and true about what's going on in your heart and your motivations. So I think that that's, I mean, that, that speaks amazing things about God, that he was patient enough to not only get Paul's attention, but then move real slow with him, present with him a question to say, I want you to think this through. Why are you doing this? You know? I think it says something about Saul, too, in that moment, because, like, if you think about it, a lot of times when you come to another person with a question like that, right, like, hey, like, what's going on, why are you doing this, often the other person becomes defensive, right, and tries to, you know, kind of turn it back around, right, in some ways, right? Like, or blame, easily. Blame, right? But... Here, at least, like, Saul just kind of took it for what it was and did what he was told to do, right? He didn't try and make excuses or, you know, at least from what it says at this point, so. Awesome. So let's move on down into verse 10, and we'll just talk about the next section here titled Saul's Baptism. Um, and, you know, Lola, you kind of mentioned, you chuckled a little bit when I talked about Ananias. I would like to hear kind of your thoughts and feelings about that. You know, what you, when I said, you know, asking a disciple to do something and go talk to someone that's like, you know, um, do yeah, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, verse 10, there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord. That reminds of what what story in the Old Testament was that? Eve? Samuel. Samuel. Mm-hmm. The Old Testament. Yeah. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, "To the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight." There is a huge important lesson for us right there in mm-hmm. verse eleven and twelve. Right. What do you think it could be? God told Ananias to go do something, and then God also told Paul the same thing. Yeah, he's preparing. What's the lesson there? Trust. Okay. Trust what? Mm, I don't know. It's as far as I got. It's good. That's fine. It's fine. We can we can expound on that. How many of us? Angel, do you have something? I see you got something formulated in there. I guess trusting God or something. Okay. It's like a. All these stories, I think, they just repeat themselves. It's it's like history repeating itself. Mm-hmm. Like some, some, since the beginning of mankind to what we're living right now, mm-hmm. history is just repeating itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like uh, like like Daniel and uh, Lions Den. Mm-hmm. You know. If both of them knew that this was going to happen, then the coincidence is the miracle that they both saw it happen. Or, you know, the Lord approached both sides of the, of the action, and they, bo- uh, they both knew when it all happened, especially on Paul's account, uh-huh. that 
it is of God. So in Second Kings, that's right. Yep. Second Kings, there's a story written. I don't remember the chapter, and I would love to look it up, but it's about a lying prophet. God told a prophet to go do something, and he specifically said, when you get there, do this, and here's some things that you're not supposed to do. When you're done, go home by a different route. Mm -hmm. Okay? Well, there's another prophet in the city who caught up with this first prophet, okay? And the, the second prophet, who's a much older man, said, come to my house and eat and drink. The younger prophet said, no, God told me I'm not supposed to eat or drink. I'm just supposed to show up, give my message, and go home a different way. The older prophet said, ah, but God told me to come tell you to go do this. The younger prophet said, okay. Long story short, a lion ate him. Okay? The Bible says specifically, but the older prophet lied to him. Right? Now here's the huge lesson. If God could tell the young prophet, go to this city, and here's what you're going to do, then couldn't God then tell him, I've changed my mind, an older prophet's going to come to you and ask you, and it's okay, go eat with him. Just like what happened right here, verses 11 to 12. Okay? I think the lesson here is, for me, someone comes to me and says, God gave me a word. This is what you're supposed to do. How do you know if the person's lying to you or not? Isn't God powerful enough to tell me that himself? God would have told you first, then sent that person to confirm there you go. the message. There you go. Mm -hmm. yeah. There you go. And so I think that's why this is given here, because it's, it's, it's clearly laid out. God went to Ananias. Here's what I want you to do. Yes, it's going to scare you. You'll be okay. God went <coughs> to Paul and said, Paul, I know you're freaked out too, but here's what's going to happen. Here's this dude. He's going to show up, and he revealed it to him. God is not a God of confusion mm -hmm. he's a god of order and peace mm -hmm. so i think that's a really big lesson for us to think about right there and it also shows the love of god because god being god he can just when saul went to persecute those people he can just you know snap the finger and saul could have died right there and then yeah so that's a great point. also shows the love of god like, you know, he's willing to guide his own enemy to confront, you know, the truth and, mm -hmm. you know. Well, I guess that's what Jesus also mm. talked about. Because, mm. like, like what he said, that the that the Sanhedrin and, you know, the, the priests say, oh, yeah, they're going to steal the body and Jesus is not going to advise them to death. But then, by hearing Jesus talk to him, that, that. You know, gave him proof that Jesus is still alive, and he did, you know, rise from the dead. Mm -hmm. Any other ideas and thoughts there as we move down through? Mm. We think about verse fifteen. God Himself says to says about Paul this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles kings and Israelites so think of those three people that he talks about Gentiles were back in those days all everyone who wasn't an Israelite basically everyone pagan kings are all the rulers and also you know everyone in charge and then Israelites would be God's chosen people 
God chose Paul to be an instrument to all people. Mm-hmm. That's pretty wild, right? But remember in remember back a few weeks ago when we were discussing <coughs> chapter 7, when Stephen gave his sermon and he went down, you know, a brief rundown overview of like Old Testament scenarios that got them so angry that they killed him. What was the main point that Stephen was driving home? You guys remember? They were stubborn. Stubborn, but the main point he was driving home was the greatest opposition to God was not people from outside, but people from within. Yeah. Isn't it amazing that you see God picking someone from within who is the greatest opposition at the current time mm-hmm. and saying, I'm choosing you, buddy. That's interesting. What's that say about God? See, I think at that point, like, you know, the Gentiles, I mean, the, you know, the people that felt that they were chosen at that point, like, didn't want the Gentiles to be a part of their group. Of course. So I think that by Jesus doing what he did and deciding that, you know, Saul, who turned into Paul, was going to be his chosen person, he's clearly showing the people that were saying that, like, you're a Gentile, you're not allowed in here in this club. You know, here's the people that were, you know, a person who was killing Christians. And yet, God said, like, this is the person that I want to reach those people who you don't want. You know, if, if I can use him, then I can also use the Gentiles and, you know, people that you think are not worthy. We're not cold. Mm. That's good. I actually think it makes sense that he picked Saul or Paul. I think that um, he, he had a broader perspective because he had to learn such a hard lesson. And because of that, Interesting. it kind of gives him an upper hand to reaching some other people, you know. Makes sense. So there's so I think what you're saying, there's there's a reality behind that. When you've gone through a real heavy trial or situation, your ability to relate and connect with mm-hmm. other people in similar situations, right? Exactly. So maybe in that to just kind of brainstorm on that a little bit, you get Paul who's talking to some religious zealots who are very religious, very hardline driving, you know, mm. like he used to be. And he's able to say, I get you. Right? Mm. Like I was like that too. And then work with them through this process of maybe, is that what you're kind of getting at? Mm. Yeah. No, I just think like without that, I mean, like without being on the other side of that, you know, there's a, I mean, there's a reason that, you know, there's stories about him, you know, right. and, like he wouldn't be so great. Maybe if he wasn't that person before. Hmm. I wonder how the people, based on what you just said, the the leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, all those who, who Paul worked shoulder to shoulder with, how did they then relate to him or what did they start thinking about when they saw this conversion? that Paul had had, how did it affect then all those church leaders? You know what I mean? Was there any effect? Hmm. Some of them say, huh, maybe we need to rethink this. I don't know. 
Or they shunned him. Or did they shun him because they didn't want to lose their power, their status? Um, later on in the same chapter, you know, I think verse 26, 27, 20, 29, somewhere in that ballpark, after after Saul recovered, got his health, his strength back, his, he, you know, Ananias baptized him, um, he went back to Jerusalem and started, you know, speaking. And so, right here, verse 28, Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews. What's the next four or five words? But they tried to kill him. Mm-hmm. But there could have been no doubt because he also had men with him when it happened, and they heard the voices of God. Yeah, they heard it. Yeah, and they were in awe. It didn't it say that in there. Yeah, absolutely. Were, yeah, but they, what did they do? Always go back to oh, that was Satan. That was the evil. That was the right. demon. The demonic voices. But maybe some of them did. Hmm. You know, maybe right. not, not maybe not the higher ups, but he had his group of people that went with him. I mean, they witnessed it. How can you, how can you witness something of that magnitude and then turn your back on it? I mean, I'm not saying it's not, it's not possible to do that, but I just, you know, I find that hard to believe. You know, I think the like back in that day, it might have been a social norm to think that way. So like. I'm sure, like in their hearts, or maybe in the back of their head, they they always questioned it. All right, you look at the psychology of people. You have people that are very confrontational, and you have people that are very beta and just they don't want confrontation. Paul's a confrontational dude. He's a he's a polarizing person, strong-headed, stubborn, um, but he believes what he believes in. Um, he's not swayable. And uh, sometimes you need a mallet, and, I mean a hammer, and sometimes you you know you need a nail. To your point, Lola, and and then we'll kind of bring our conversation to a close because we're about out of time. But to your point, um, how can people witness something so powerful and not fall through with it? Mm-hmm. How many people witnessed God in the life of Jesus at the crucifixion? Witnessed the renting of the curtain, witnessed the sky darkening and the thunders and the rumbles and, and all of that stuff and still rejected it. Witnessing. Well, okay. So I will say this and, and this is just a theory and that is the people may have witnessed it but their leaders explained it away. Mm-hmm. Okay? And yeah. I think that happens today in modern churches in all facets where people question certain things about God and about religion and all that. And you'll have higher-ups or pastors or, or their conference leaders or whoever it is will lead them astray and really that's what it is leading them astray you didn't really see what you thought you saw you didn't hear what you thought you heard and this is the explanation of that and it isn't really the truth and while at the same time saying to the company line also yeah yeah and a lot of the a lot of the uh the priests back in the days that were more influenced by power than the love of god anyway 
Yeah, that's true. Power does. Power and money. Still are today. Yeah, Yeah. still are today. Still there. So, you know, power and the money recognition and stuff, you know, it's like for them to say, yeah, that's God. You know, Jesus is God and they were, I guess, thinking about themselves and losing their power or the influence over the people. Fear. Fear is real. Yeah. You know, all of that is boiled down to to the emotion of fear. Well done. Well said. Yeah. Well said. Well, next week we're going to jump into Acts chapter 10. Cornelius's vision. Peter's vision. We're going to start talking about Peter. Peter visits Cornelius. So, um, Yeah. I'm read something from here real quick. Go ahead. Mind. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, this is from the Passion Translation. Describe that's a description of 9-11 and uh, 9-11. That, that sounded weird. Uh, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. The conversion of Sal, the legalist, into Paul, the greatest preacher, has a significant lesson for us. We can be amazingly wrong while thinking what we are doing is right. The Holy, what Mark said, the Holy Spirit awakens our heart to feast on Christ. Our righteousness, religion, is deadening effect on our hearts. Like Saul, we have to fall off our high horse and bite the dust before our blinded eyes can see. Thank you for that. I like that. Well done. Well done. Well said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this discussion and for man, just the lessons that we've been just the truths that we're drawing out of out of your Word. Um. Lord, may we live our lives each day, you know, being willing to answer the question, you know, when you ask us, why are you doing this? You know, may we, may we be true and honest and ask, I don't know, why am I doing this? You know, and, 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 and choose in those moments as Saul did to trust you and say, well, I'll follow you through this. Um, ask for your holy presence to, to lead us and guide us as we go about the rest of our week. Bring us together again next week in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.